Are you interested in learning skills to tackle a specific problem in your school, district, or local union? Consider applying for an OEA Empowerment Academy to receive the support you need to take action. Details at grow.oregoned.org. You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members for members. In Season 8, we're all in this together with Beth Aidlaw. Hello, and welcome back to OEA Grow, a podcast that explores the connections between educators and the communities they serve. I'm your host, Beth Aidlaw, and we're very fortunate to have Colleen Ariola with us today to discuss the very special connections educators can have with students who are in the foster system. As we begin our conversation, Colleen, will you tell us a bit about yourself and how you entered into the education field? Sure. Thanks um, for having me. Um, I uh, teach fifth grade. Uh, This is my second year of teaching. I'm new teacher, very new teacher, but I'm not a young teacher. I finished my bachelor's degree um, when I was 50 and got my master's degree a couple years later um, because prior to that, I was raising uh, 10 kids. And um, the interesting thing is my kids are all from a variety of backgrounds because I have three birth children and seven adopted from the foster system. Um My seven adopted children are three sets of siblings um, that we adopted over a course of a few years. And there are 13 years between my oldest and my youngest child. So I had 10 kids under my roof um, for several years and six teenagers at one point. (laughs) Um, But they're all all adults now, so... um. We survived. Hooray. (laughs) (laughs) Now um, you're you're actually going into the connections that we want to build. Uh, So you came into the education field late or later. I don't want to say late. I'm sorry. I've been teaching for a long time and I feel sometimes. Um, Anyway, um, and also your role as a parent. Uh, Now, so what we're discussing today is what happens when children in the foster system go to school uh, and how can teachers help that connection? Um, Can you speak to that? Because you've seen that both as a parent with 10 children in school, my goodness, and also as a teacher. Yes, Um, And that is partly why I became a teacher. Well, I always wanted to be a teacher, but um, getting so active in the schools when I had when when I was raising my kids, um, it really solidified my desire to be there. Um, But with the kids in the school, I mean, they need the kids in the system need a lot, 
a lot of understanding, first and foremost. What do we as educators need to know about children who are in that foster system? Okay. Um, They think that the most important thing that teachers need to understand is that these kids are um, currently in trauma. I mean, a lot of kids have trauma, but these kids are currently in the middle of trauma. Um, So the difference of the trauma for the kids in the system is that these kids have lost everything and everyone that they have ever known, Um, possibly temporarily, but they don't know and nobody really knows if it's temporary or if it's permanent. So um, they're taken from their families and these kiddos, they don't, they don't really understand um, about the parents um, doing anything wrong or anything. Their biological parents, I mean. Um, they just know that they are taken away from everything and everybody they've ever known and everything that's familiar um, in their life and put into a place that's strange. I mean, it could be a really great home that they're put into, but um, it's kind of irrelevant for these kids because it's so different. The smells are different. The noise level is different. The food, everything is different. Um, and, of course, as adults, we're saying, well, it's better. These kids are safe and they're in a better place right now. But to the kiddos, that stuff doesn't matter. Um, all they are thinking is, you know, they don't have their people and their stuff around them because their lives are completely turned upside down. And these kids are in our schools, and these kids are um, required, of course, to go to school. So they could be right in the middle of this big, huge life transition and be in school. So, you know, understanding and, um, and advocating is really key for these kiddos, for sure. Um, Do the teachers know that they have a child in the foster system in their classroom? Are they told? I, I have told the, my, uh, the teachers of my kids that they were mm-hmm. in the system because I think it's really important that the teacher knows um, because I think it's important that we all understand where they're at and where they're coming from, um, the kiddos, I mean. So I am unsure as to... I know there's legalities about talking about kids in the system and why they're in the system and all those things, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But I don't know that there's necessarily have to be told. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. But but with the children in your family, you inform the teachers? For sure. I did because I thought it was so important that they knew that these well, kiddos were mm-hmm. what they were going through. Yeah. And it's it's a part of what they're doing. So so thank you. So what you're telling us is that all children in the in the foster system, uh, regardless of, of of actually their age or the situation or whether it's temporary or not, they're going through an, an enormous change uh, from something they're familiar with to something they're not. Right. And I like yeah. I like to explain it to teachers that. Um, you know, what if someone would have taken you out of, away from your family? What if someone just came and taken you away from all your family, everyone you've ever known, all your stuff, everything that's ever been around you, and put you in a new place and then say, okay, now go to work. 
and and be excellent. <laughs> it's just it's not going to happen. Um, it's it's just not going to happen. And and the fact that these kiddos can go and make it some what um, even so is pretty remarkable if you think about what they're going through. Oh, it's so, heroic. Um, it is extremely. Yeah. And and with your um, children, so many that you had in your household that were in the system, you probably saw a wide variety of uh, experiences and reactions to the situations they were in. Absolutely, absolutely. We ended up adopting our kids uh, from the system, but they were foster kids for a couple of years because the the whole process takes so long. So a child can be put in the foster system and the parents get a lot of um, supports and opportunities to to do what they need to do, whatever that may be, to get those kiddos back. Um, and if they don't, they get more time. Like maybe six months goes by, and they haven't gotten any, haven't had any progress. Then they get six more months, and that can go on for like two years. It used to be a lot longer. They've passed laws now that the states have to make um, decisions quicker for these kiddos' lives, but. Um, they could be in the foster system for a couple of years before they become legally free, which means the parental rights are terminated and a person can adopt them. Um, my kiddos were all aged like 18 months to six years old. So they were young-ish, but not tiny and not older, um, but still not, um, not highly adoptable. Unfortunately, and that a lot of the kiddos in the system, the older they get, the less likely they are to be adopted. And so that's another thing to to consider with these kiddos is that oftentimes as they get older and if they've been in the system for a while because of this, the way it works and they kind of get um, stay in there for a while, float along, um, life circumstances can happen for foster parents that can cause these kids to move on to another home. And each new placement is another giant disruption for these kids. Um, Another pull from something they're finally familiar with, another new place causing more damage, trauma damage, and um, attachment stuff. Uh, That's a huge huge other thing that can I can talk about for quite a long time, the attachment pieces, but they can get moved on and, and put in new placements. Unfortunately, every time that happens, um, it can cause these kiddos to have to display further behavioral problems, of course, because they, they are moved along. They don't really necessarily know why. Then they're not able to trust. And, and then, of course, that comes to the classroom course, there's behavioral problems, the lack of trust, the inability to focus. I mean, all these things can go along with those, these factors of being kind of stuck in limbo um, in the system. And sometimes they go back to their homes. I mean, I've had adopted, or I'm sorry, foster kids before that have gone back to their families um, and their families have been successful. I've had ones that have gone back and their families weren't successful and the kids went back into care. So these kids can be in and out of care. Um, my personal kiddos, they were, were foster kids for a couple years. They became legally free, um, the first set that I adopted. Um, 
were siblings set of two. They were um, four and six. So they became legally free when we were uh, fostering them, and we had not necessarily intended to adopt, but at that point, they're, they're now orphans, for lack of a better word, wards of the state. Um, and if we had chosen to not adopt them, they would have just moved on to a different family because that's how it works. <laughs> maybe, maybe not would have worked out. Um, so these kids can, they're kind of yanked around, um, based on a lot of, a lot of reasons. And so not only the original trauma of the family stuff, but can be continual trauma just being in, in care. So uh, and that's, that's, that's the thing I think we need to be reminded of is that, um, it's not a one-time thing. It, it continues. It seems like from what you're saying, even in the best of circumstances, it's not just waiting for them to get used to one situation because it continues, um, at least for a while. Absolutely. And, and yes. And in my home, the three sets of siblings, I mean, I have, um, so many circumstances. I have three sets of siblings, like I said, um, but my last set, the last set of siblings that we adopted, it was a sibling set of three. And um, at the time we had already had seven kids and this was in the state of Washington, Pierce County. Um, and they, they say you can have one more, right? A foster child if you have a big family. Um, but they were a set of three kiddos that were uh, one, two, and three. And, um, so we could only get, take one. So they had split them up because they could not find any families at the time to take all three. So mm -hmm. we had the middle child, um, in our home, the two-year-old, and then the one-year-old and the three-year-old were in different homes. So to make a long story short, throughout a course of a year, um, we were trying to fight for them to come to our home because, they kept getting moved to new homes for various reasons. And um, the one-year-old and the three-year-old. So finally, um, the CASA, their CASA um, said- And that's the uh, court, the CASA court is appointed the- special advocate. Um, yes. The person who's, yeah, who's advocating for the child only. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, finally, they were saying this has to stop and- petitioned the court and the judge placed them all into our home, even though the mm -hmm. foster system never said it was okay. The judge placed them in our home and then we were able to adopt them. Um, but my, my point in all that is that um, my one, the one-year-old and the three-year-old, which of course were not one and three when we got them, they were now um, older, three and five. And then we had the middle child still, the four-year-old. Um, she was with us for the whole time, whereas they had gone to four or so other placements in that short period of time. Um, and they ended up having um, behavioral issues way beyond what the one that we had the whole time had. And it's not, you know, my way I see it is that the more placements these kiddos have, the harder their lives are going to be. The more, the more trauma, the more attachment stuff, the more 
which will roll into lack of trust, which will roll into behavioral issues that they really have a hard time getting over. Um, even as a, even as adults now, they're adults now, they're having a hard time. So it's it's very damaging. These kids are are, are experiencing a lot of damage, emotional damage, um, just because of the way the system works. And these kiddos are in our classrooms, and so they they there's a lot going on in their lives um, and in their emotions and in their brains um, that is a beyond what, what most kids go through. So, uh, so, so um, we've talked about in general, um, they are all to some extent going through trauma, real right. trauma, real change, real adjustment. That is not a temporary thing that I, it's not a one-time thing. Excuse me. Right. Um, let's talk about um the fact that they're all different. They're individuals. And right. so um, we can't just put them into the, oh, you're a child in the system. Therefore, this is what I should expect from you. Absolutely. Um, they are, And they all are affected differently, for sure. Um, they can, I mean, I have in my own home, I have ones that, um, like I said, are kind of out of control behavior or were, and ones that um, were complete people pleasers and, you know, but they all, they all, one of the common themes of all of them is they all struggled academically. All of my adopted kids have struggled academically. Um, and I'm not a scientist. I can't tell you the, the effects or the why that's affected that way, but just, I just know that it's happened. Um, and yeah, so I, I've always thought that I wished that they had IEPs for, um, for these kiddos because of what they're going through and what they might still be going through or what they have gone through in the past. That's so major and traumatic. Um, and the, the reactions that they have from all this upheaval in their lives, I believe that there needs to be individual, um, education for these kids that, addresses the the way that addresses these um, issues in a way that is more understanding and and um, that maybe gives them the extra support that they need um, and time sometimes to um, have emotional moments and, and, or whatever they need. They, I don't even, I can't even start to start a list. It would take me a very long time to make a list of all the things I think that the IEPs could be addressing, but, um, they, they just are not mainstream students that can sit studiously and read and, um, fluently and all these, there's so many factors of what they've gone through that really affect their ability to be a, um, even a, an average student, meaning one that can come in and kind of go along with the program throughout the day and um, do their work. And I mean, it's just really, really difficult for them to, to be able to manage that, to be able to navigate that. And I'm not saying every child, of course, but a lot of, a big population of them have a real struggle. Um, so I feel like if they could, if 
if an IEP can be written for them, um, in the, for kids in the foster system that can address the fact that we at least understand what these kids are going through and, you know, they're going to need some extra emotional support and extra help throughout the day. Uh, before, you were telling me the example of one of your daughters, I believe, who was having trouble sitting still. Could you please tell us that story again? It's it's perfect. Yes, I love that story because um, my daughter, Dakota, who's an adult now, she was one of the first two that we adopted. She was four when we, I like, we, I say when we got her, when we got them. That's how we talk about when we get our children. So when we got her at four, um, then she was a wild child um, because she had been in several placements in and out of her biological home that was in major chaos. Um, there's, you know, a lot of other effects there, the things that she went through. Um, so she was pretty out of control, um, but she was, t- she was trying, she was trying really hard to, to not to keep herself calm all the time. And so um, it was kindergarten. I went to her kindergarten class when she was five and um, the, I was, we, I was there as like an observer. The parents were there to kind of watch how the kids were doing in their class and, um, the teacher was on the carpet with the class reading a story, and the kids were engaged in what the teacher was saying. But Dakota, which was sitting on the rug, crisscross applesauce, and and her hands were like clamped together and shoved down in in her lap, and and she was rocking, kind of rocking back and forth on, on <laughs> just kept turning around and looking at me, and turning around and then looking at the teacher and looking at me, and kind of fidgeting, but keeping her hands in her lap and keeping herself as still as she could, which was a real struggle for her. And she was having a hard time keeping still. Um, and then the teacher got done reading the story and um, she ran over to me and she's like, mom, mom, did you see how good I was sitting? And um, I mean, then it just dawned on me right then and there that that child, that was her such a focus was, paying so close attention to how she was sitting so nicely to hear the story that she didn't hear one word of the story. (laughs) She didn't hear any of the story, not a word the teacher said, um, because her focus was so big and her energy and every bit of her little body was taken up by concentrating on sitting nicely the way she was supposed to be sitting on the rug. So (laughs) I I think that's great. So she was actually behaving and Working in the educational system, um, even though it was um, not exactly what the teacher had in mind, right? Exactly. The teacher would, I mean, like the, most of the other kids, they would they were hearing the stories. Even so, the teacher would be expecting that the child would be hearing the story, right? But her focus being so hard on just managing her body um, that she had no idea what the teacher was saying. And, and that's one of the things I, I'd like to to when I had my kids when they were little and I would like to tell the teacher all the time. And when I am, I've talked to teachers before when I was a parent and not a teacher, um, talked to groups of teachers about reasons why some of these kiddos are having a hard time learning. And, um, that was one of the things I would tell them that part of it is they might not even be hearing a word because they're so focusing on managing or navigating through um, 
just the daily demands of being a student that that's so difficult sometimes that for them that they're not they can't focus or even hear what the teacher's saying those things are difficult they're not like a an average I don't even want to say a normal child of course but I want to say a typical child from a typical family um, they're not that it's not what they they don't have that privilege in their lives and so they're um, they're going through so much more than what so many other kids are going through that we don't even all we don't even really know all of the damage that's done to brains um, in of kiddos in these situations, but we do know, and I know from my own personal experience that um, the struggle for them is huge to be able to navigate school and just the demands of and the rigors of just being a student. So, Colleen, um, thank you. Uh, this is this is great show the the how individual they are um can you talk to us a little bit about how educators actually can reach out and support the children yes we know that the individual plans would be excellent uh they might not be within the individual teachers scope right so what do you suggest now that you're in the education field from your vast experience with children in the foster system Mm-hmm. What do you suggest for teachers uh, knowing the problem? What what can they um, do? Well, it's a hard question because every child is so different. But um, the number one, what I've learned from my kids and other kids in the system, the one I thing I've learned is that the number one most important thing for these kiddos is trust, and they may not. Uh, they don't. They just don't have much trust, um, if any, and they may or may not ever have it. But they need to be able to trust you as a as an adult in their life that's um, uh, looking out for them because you're they're in your classroom. Um, but they need to trust you very fully. Um, and that by that I mean, um, it's always been very important for me as um, in the. In, as a teacher and as a parent of these kiddos to um, say what I mean and mean what I say and be very clear um, because ambig- ambiguity is impossible for these kiddos because they don't, they don't trust already and they don't really know what to believe. And so to be very straightforward and very clear and, um, and, and, Make sure that they know what to expect always because even good surprises can set these kiddos off into a, a spin because it's disruption and it's hard. So consistency um, and honesty and always and, and straightforwardness, is, those are really huge keys and, and one thing that I always is, is cringy if a teacher's teasy to one of these kids, teasing them, because um, some kids, some teachers do it lovingly, but for these kiddos, it's not it, it it's not necessarily going to be received that way. It's going to be hurtful. It might possibly be hurtful. So, just being very um, real and straight, and also um, understanding, like I said before. 
is a huge part of it. And by that, I mean, you know, not pushing too hard. I mean, I, I believe in high expectations, of course, and understanding what a child can do and asking them to do that and maybe a little tiny bit higher because um, that's what we do when we're teaching them. But um, if they're having a really hard moment, like their emotional well-being is always placed before academics. I mean, that's just, and that's also a thing I would tell all the teachers um, of my own kids. Like, I'm sorry that they're not doing their writing assignment, but their emotional health, their mental health is much more important due to who these kiddos are than whether or not they're going to do a great job on a writing assignment. So, I mean, I think it's kind of a, a flip where they have to feel emotionally secure and um, they have to feel that they can trust you and and then they will perform at a level they can perform at, I believe, mm-hmm. once they, most mm-hmm. of the time, once they have that. In so it's the, it's the understanding and um, the realizing you're dealing with the entire child, not just the child as a student. I think. Absolutely. Um, and, and I believe that's true so, for most of our kids, but even it's imperative for these kids. So oh, think oh I, I agree. I agree completely. Um, yes, yes, thank you, thank you. Um, before we end this conversation, is there anything else you'd like to share with us that you haven't had a chance? Um, I just would like to share that um, the the other things, um, the other factors in a lot of these kiddos' lives um, that can, um, I don't know how to actually put this, but I can't get too far into this because it's a big issue, but there also can be um, drug and alcohol effects. It's very high um the kids in the foster system, the the percentage of kids in the foster system that were born, um, my several of my kids included, born um, drug or alcohol affected or addicted. Um, oh it's again, this is a huge issue that can only be just. I just want to say this. Obviously, we can't get into this. This <laughs> I need hours, but um, the the piece to that that I want to to say with these kiddos is that um, one thing I would tell my kids' teachers was that I feel almost like it's an invisible, they have um, damage to their brain due to what was happening when they were in utero that is invisible. You don't see it. You don't notice it. There's nothing on their face that shows you they have it. There's not even a way they necessarily behave that tells you they have it but it affects their learning and their ability to learn and their impulse control and a bunch of other things and their nervous system also. Um, and it's, it's nothing that can be uh, the part, the, the problem with all that is that there's, there's nothing that can be medically necessarily pinpointed or diagnosed because depending on um, what was developing at the time when the, when the parent used um, whatever, substance they were using, whatever was developing in, for the baby at the time, you know, what, what the substance was. Um, it, there's so many factors that it could have done damage in the brain that, that we would never know 
but it can pop out in ways of, of learning um, deficits that you are really hard to pinpoint and really hard to um, say, oh yeah, this is the thing. It's not like, um, let me say autism or something where we can say, yeah, this is the thing. This is what this child is dealing with. It's not like that. It's, um, it could be so many things and it can come up in so many cases and so many, um, so many different times that just being aware, I think, I think awareness is the key. If a child is struggling with something and you know, they have a background that might possibly, um, be that, or if you're told about that, then, um, just being aware because awareness helps you be able to help the child. So that's, that sounds great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Colleen, for being with us today and for reminding us that our children, our students don't always leave the classroom to return to a comfortable, stable environment. Thanks to our listeners, too. Tune in each week as we explore different connections that we as educators make to ensure our students' success. Thank you. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit grow.oregonad.org.